0: To name names, but somebody, anyway. Okay. Um, So tonight we're going to continue, actually, going to wrap up the series that we've been doing on pain and suffering and we've said kind of all throughout the series like this is not one of the fun ones you know this is a a hard one to talk about because many times it it kind of drudges things up that are painful that maybe we don't want to think about and yet we said boy it's really really important for us because we live in this world that's filled with pain and suffering we said this every week and it's true we live in a world filled with pain and suffering we have a lot of people asking you know trying to make sense of pain and suffering asking where is god amidst all of this pain and suffering and so um I wanted to take maybe five minutes and just kind of, as we finish this series, I want to kind of get us all on the same page with it, and I want to review a little bit about some of the things that we've said. Um, so one of the things uh, that we said I think is really important, is really significant for us, is that uh, pain and suffering are a part of life. It's just, it just is. Pain and suffering are a part of life. It's inevitable. It's not if we experience it. It's when we experience it and how much of it we experience. I've heard some people say that pain and suffering actually is the norm of life, broken up by short periods of calm and peace. And I actually think that that's true in many ways. Um, The truth is everyone in this room is either presently experiencing pain and suffering at some level, or we will soon. Like it's the common denominator of humanity. So we said pain and suffering are part of life. Another thing we said is that pain and suffering are unpredictable, like, you know, you can't, you can't plan for it. You know, we can't schedule it most of the time. It, it comes when it comes, and all we can do is face it. Like, that's our only decision. That's our only choice. We face it, and we face it with courage because God gives us courage. We face it with him, right? And we get a chance to face it with each other, too. And so uh, it's unpredictable. In the second week of this series, we talked about the kind of pain and suffering that's very unexplainable, you know, the kind that we don't have answers for, the kind that feels random, the kind that feels many times very unfair. And what we did is we looked at the book of Job. We looked at this guy, Job, spelled like Job, pronounced like Job, uh, Job in the Bible. And he was a guy that experienced incredible pain and suffering, incredible pain and suffering. And throughout the book, Job's asking God, why? Why? Why do you let me, why are you taking me through this? I don't deserve this. I didn't do anything wrong. You're being unjust, God. Why, 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 why? And we said, God never answered his question, why? Which is kind of disheartening in a way. But God never answered his question, why? Instead, he answered a different question. He answered the question, who? God showed Job how big he was. And how comparatively small Job was. Job's perspective, we kind of looked at this last week. Job's perspective is really small. He sees just a little bit, as each of us do as well. God's perspective is huge. And so all of a sudden, Job's question of why isn't important anymore because of who God is, because of who God has shown himself to be. And so we concluded that week by saying, you know, it's really a matter of faith. Pain and suffering for us, and I really believe this is true, pain and suffering for us really reveals our faith. It reveals the depth of our faith. Will we trust that God is good even when things don't work out the way that we want them to? Even when our dreams don't come to pass? Even when the things that we hoped would happen and planned would happen wouldn't? Do we still trust, do we still have faith that God is good and that God is for us? Pain and suffering reveals our faith. And another thing we said is that all pain and suffering is not the same. Right? It's not the same. There's lots of different types of pain. There's lots of different sources of suffering. And so he said, it's not like uh, you know, one explanation fits every situation. Sometimes it's completely unexplainable to us. Like when we're talking about Job, like, I don't know why this happens. It feels random. Other times, it's very explainable to us. We know exactly why the pain and suffering that we experience happens. Because some pain and suffering is a result of our bad choices, right? I mean, it just is. That's how it works. Many times we reap what we sow. Many times our pain and suffering, I'm I'm sorry, our bad choices leads to pain and suffering in our lives. And sometimes other people's bad choices leads to pain and suffering in our lives. And one thing that we said that week, one thing that we said that is really clear in the Bible is that, uh, like, we can look at the pain and suffering that we deal with through our bad choices and we can think, God's punishing me. I've done something stupid, I've done something wrong, and God's bringing about punishment in my life. Like he's out to get me because I've done wrong. But one of the things that's really clear in the Bible is that God disciplines those he loves, right? Discipline from God, from a loving father is really different than I'm punishing you for the wrong things that you've done, right? Why does a loving father discipline his children? Why would he do that? To teach them to teach them so that they don't make the same decisions again, right? It's for their own good. And so we look at God and we go, he he disciplines us in love. He disciplines us to teach us, not to punish us. And we wrapped up that week and we talked a little bit about forgiveness. We said, you can't have a series on pain and suffering without at least mentioning forgiveness. Forgiving others for how their bad decisions affect us is really, really key in us healing from that. Right? If somebody's done rotten things to me that's hurt me deeply, forgiving them is the real key for me to heal. And so we kind of wrapped up that week with that. And then last week, we talked about another kind of pain and suffering, a very specific kind of pain and suffering. And it's the paralyzing pain of death. We said it's, it's the kind that's so final. It's the kind that's so permanent. And we looked at a time when Jesus' friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, went through some terrible pain we saw how Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus died. And then we got a chance to see how Jesus responded in that. Remember how Jesus responded? He comes and he sees that Lazarus is dead and Mary and Martha are all upset. They're hurting. And what does Jesus do? He weeps, right? He weeps. Like he feels their pain. He sees the pain and turmoil that they're in and he feels it. And he weeps along with them. But that's not all he does. It also says, and this is I just, this was a really interesting find for me. It also says that he got angry. There's a word that we looked at that really means anger. He got angry. And we said, he's not angry at them. He's not angry at Mary and Martha for their weeping, but he's angry at sin and what sin leads to. Sin in the Bible, it says sin leads to death. And so he's got these people, this family that he loves, like they're a special family to him. And he sees the result of sin in their life, death, right? And it, and it makes him angry. It makes him upset because death was not part of God's plan from the beginning. God hates death the way that we do. But then we ended last week and we said, but here's the good news. Death isn't the end because Jesus also said, and when he's talking to Martha, Martha, I think it was Martha and Mary, Martha, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. This isn't it. This doesn't end in death. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he raised Lazarus. He resurrected Lazarus And then later, of course, he resurrected himself. And one day, for all of us that love him, we're going to be resurrected as well. And we're going to get a chance to be with him forever in paradise where there's no more death. There's no more pain. There's no more sin. There's no more suffering. And finally, last thing, this kind of review time, finally, maybe the thing, the most hopeful thing that we've said throughout the series as we talk about pain and suffering is that God is producing something good in my pain. Pain stinks. Suffering stinks. Like we can all agree with that, right? God's producing something good in it. Like I think about my own life and I, I shared a little bit about some of the pain that I've been through and I think, man, I've learned so much through that. Like I, I, and I don't want to go through it again. But, man, I've learned so much through it. He's matured me. He's given me a much fuller perspective. And here's the thing. Having gone through that and clung to him through it, he he walks with it through us, I cultivated a deeper relationship with him. Like, I got a chance to know God in a deeper way having gone through those hard things. And we all have that opportunity when we deal with pain and suffering. My pain can cultivate a deeper relationship with God if I allow it. And then I could actually approach pain. I can live with pain and suffering with a peace and even with a joy knowing that God is doing something good in me through it. doesn't mean I'm always happy, right? Because It doesn't feel good. But it means I can have a deep peace and joy and contentment that God is going to use this terrible thing in my life for good. So that's kind of where we've been over the last four weeks. Tonight, I want to wrap up our series with some thoughts on how we can help people that are going through pain and suffering. What can we do when we see others experience pain and suffering? How can the church? How can Jesus's followers help people that are experiencing pain and suffering? You know, when I when I started the series, I talked about uh, it was about a month ago. I talked about how over the last 14 years of being a pastor, I've had The chance I've had the privilege to be able to walk with a lot of different people through a lot of hard things. I kind of went down a list of of just terrible things that people have been through. And I was thinking about it again this week, like even during this month or so that we've been doing this series, I've been part of another funeral. One one of ours passed away. I've been uh, a part of numerous hospital visitations, going and being with people that are sick and suffering and hurting. I've experienced some relatively significant injuries that people have had to walk through, and counseling sessions of people that are trying to process through some of their pain and suffering. And I said, you know, a month ago, I said, that's an important part of being a pastor, you know? Like, people are hurting, and you get a chance to come alongside people that are hurting. It got me thinking. Like, I remember when I was first learning how to kind of walk with people through the pain and suffering, through the hard times, that they're dealing with. And uh, I remember how uncomfortable that was for me. You know, like, well, I, I, I didn't know what to do. You know, like, what do you do? People are hurting. I can't, ma- I don't, I, I can't put my hand on you and heal you and make you that. Like, what do I do? I remember thinking like, I don't know what to say. What do I say? I feel like I want to say something, but I don't want to ruin things either. I don't want to make it worse. What do I say? I don't even know how to feel with this. And I remember I had a pastor, uh, his name's Eloy Pacheco. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of him. Amazing guy. He was like the care pastor of, he was a master care pastor. That's what he was. And I get just, just a chance to like see him in action loving on people that are hurting and struggling. but it just got me thinking like how uncomfortable that process is. And now I see that same sort of uncomfortability in the eyes of, you know, interns and, and other pastors in training and Bible college and seminary students that I get to spend time with and take with me on visitations and kind of show them what it looks like to walk with people through pain and suffering. And I see that same sort of uncomfortableness in their eyes too because they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. And they don't know what to say, and they don't know what to feel. And I see it in others, too. You know, I see it as people, a part of our church, people who are in grace groups with others that are hurting, people who have neighbors that have gotten sick, people who have coworkers who's lost spouses, people that, students that have friends in their class whose mother passed away, like my son did this year. You know, many of them don't know what to do. Like, what do do I do if somebody's hurting? And I'm not sure, I don't know what to say. Many of them don't know what to feel. And so many times, as a result of that, like not knowing what to do as a result, many times they do nothing. And they don't reach out to them. Not because, not because they don't care. Not because they're angry with them. Not because they don't want to be around them. They just, they don't want to screw it up. They don't know what to do. Or, sometimes they do even more harm than good. So either they don't reach out to them, well, they reach out to them, and they actually make things worse. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, this past week whose brother died. Uh, it was, it's been years ago now, but he was a young man. He was just recently married. His brother died. And he said, the pastor at the funeral, this, I mean, this created this incredible pain in his heart for all these years. The pastor at the funeral said, uh, I think your brother died because of the sin in his life. Because he was married by that point, but because he lived with his girlfriend prior to getting married, that's why your son, your brother, died. God took him because of the sin in his life. And another friend, a mentor, really, whose sister died as a kid, as a young kid, and uh, at the, at I think it was at the funeral, somebody came up to their mom. This is true. Somebody came up to their mom and said, you know, it's probably better that she died. She may have become a prostitute later. Like, how, how do people say that? Guys, listen, we, we've got to know how to help people that are experiencing pain and suffering. We can do more damage if we're not careful, either by neglecting them and just not reaching out to them, which could hurt even more, or by reaching out and saying the wrong thing and doing the wrong thing. Listen, we get a chance to be Jesus to a world filled with pain and suffering. Guys, think about that. Like, we get a chance to be Jesus to people, and it may be the only Jesus that they ever experience, and that's not so much a burden. That's a privilege. We've said it all throughout this series. we said our world's filled with pain and suffering. No one's immune to it. You know what happens to people in the midst of pain and suffering? They're looking for hope, Right? They're looking for hope. They're looking for help. We live in a world that's filled with people who are hurting and looking for hope. And last week we said Jesus cares for people. He has a deep compassion for people that are hurting, right? Our world's filled with people that are hurting. Jesus cares deeply for people that are hurting. And here's this. You and I are called his ambassadors, If you're a follower of Jesus, you said here tonight, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're called Jesus's ambassador, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we get a chance to show the world his love by our life, by our actions. Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He goes on, he says, in John uh, chapter 14, he says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they'll do even greater things than this. What's all this mean? Let me me recap this for you. So important for us. There's pain and suffering going on all over the world, right? And as people are in the middle of it, they're looking for help. They're looking for hope. And it breaks Jesus' heart. He feels all of that pain. He feels all the pain that you and I go through. And we get a chance to be his ambassadors. We get a chance to be his hands and feet, to love people that are going through that pain. We get to be an extension of him. And we get to do it filled with his spirit, right? We're not alone in any of this. We're empowered by his spirit. And as such, we will do even greater things than he did. Let me explain that. Meaning hundreds of millions of spirit-filled Christians, spirit-filled people all over the world showing Jesus' loving power and care when they're hurting. Like, that's amazing. This This is our mission. Like, this is what you and I are called to do. This is what you and I have the privilege to do. We get a chance to be Jesus to a world that's filled with pain and suffering. That's a privilege. Well, I want to look at a passage together. Um, I'm excited to share this with you. This is, you know, sometimes when, you, when you're preparing, all the time when you're preparing, you know, God's kind of digging things into your heart, you know, and then sometimes it's just extra special. This is one of those weeks where, you know, I read this passage and it was just like, this is, this is why I love Jesus. <laughs> like, this is why I want to be like him. So it's, it's in Mark chapter one. So if you've got your Bibles, flip them open to Mark chapter one. I want you to see this. It's six verses. I want to dig into six verses together. Mark chapter 1 is page, what, 813 in the church Bibles. If you, don't have a church, if you don't have a Bible of your own, Joe back there, just raise your hand. Joe back there will get you a Bible. But in the New Testament, it's filled with examples of Jesus' incredible power and his And his incredible heart, I'll say it that way, his gentle heart. And in this passage in Mark chapter 1, you get to see both of those things. You get to see the extent of Jesus' power and the extent of the gentleness of his heart. And so as you're flipping them, let me kind of tell you a little bit about what's going on. So this man comes to Jesus who has leprosy. Somebody who has leprosy is called a leper. And leprosy back then was a really dangerous thing. Back then there was no cure for leprosy. And when it says leprosy in the Bible, it actually covers a wide variety of conditions. But in general, leprosy, here it is, in general, it was this really disgusting, contagious, spreading skin disease Or nerve infection. It covers your skin. It infects your nerve. So you actually, I was reading a lot about it this week. And I was looking at some pictures. I thought about showing pictures, but I thought it was too gratuitous. If you're interested, you can Google image it. And there's lots of stuff that comes up. But what it does is it it creates these legions all over your body, like these sores. And you get like bumps. and, And it ends up deforming, especially your extremities. It ends up deforming your extremities. And it was highly contagious. And they didn't know a lot about it back then. And like I said, there was no cure. And so if you had this, if you had leprosy, you were in trouble back then. You were isolated from everybody else. You were ostracized from the community. And you had to be. It was actually the law back then. In Leviticus 13, it talks a little bit about this. Leviticus in the Old Testament is a lot about the, the old laws that God gave to the Jewish nation. This is one of them. It says, anyone with such a defiling disease, leprosy, must wear torn clothes. This is what they had to do. This is what they had to experience. Wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkept, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. This is the guy that comes up to Jesus. I just, in your mind... Imagine what his life must be like. Imagine what he looks like. Imagine what his life must be like. Think of the loneliness. Think of the loss of hope that he must have had. And so, this guy comes up to Jesus in Mark chapter 1. We'll pick up in verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him, came to Jesus and begged him on his knees. He said, "If you are willing, you can make me clean." Jesus was indignant. That word that's translated "indignant" is an interesting word. It's actually a hard word for translators to translate. Uh, the, the NIV, which is the translation that we use, is the only like main translation that uses that translate it as "indignant." All of the others translate it this way. Maybe this will help you kind of understand what Jesus is feeling. They translate it as "moved with compassion." So Jesus "moved with compassion," or "moved with pity." or indignant, like he feels it. That word compassion is, a, is an interesting word. It's like being moved in the inner part, like in your soul, right? It literally means to be moved in your bowels. That's what it means. So Jesus is like, he looks at this guy and he just feels it deep within himself. He's moved to compassion. And it says, he reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. Verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and he began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So what's going on? This man with leprosy comes up to Jesus and this guy would have been an outcast. I mean, he, he would have been a loner. He would have been seen as a reject. He would have been seen as a misfit, ostracized. And there's a lot of pain and suffering that comes with that beyond just the physical stuff that he's feeling. There's a lot of pain and suffering that comes when you're the odd man out, right? When no one will be around you. And so he sees something in Jesus, this man, I, we don't know how, but he sees something in Jesus, and he thinks, maybe Jesus could be the answer to my problems. Just like maybe. And so he literally gets down on his knees and he begs Jesus, please, you can heal me. Please heal me. And it says, Jesus' heart breaks. He's moved with compassion. He's moved with pity he feels such pity for this guy. is so similar to the feeling that he felt uh, w- that we looked at last week with Mary and Martha. They're just like, just feels it in the pit of his stomach. He feels this man's pain. And what does he do? He touches him and he heals him. And then Jesus sends him away and he says, keep it quiet. <laughs> keep it quiet. Go go! show yourself to the priest, which is the one who would have declared him unclean to begin with. Go show yourself to the priest. And essentially, go get right with God. Offer the sacrifices that are required. Instead, this guy goes. And like he said, so at first when I read this, I, I was kind of in my mind like hard on the guy. Like, what's wrong with this guy? Jesus gave him like one requirement. Don't go blabbing about it. What does he do? He goes blabbing about it, right? But then I think about it, you know, you think he was so elated. I mean, can you imagine being like physically deformed, not allowed by law to be with people, and then all of a sudden, just like that, just like that, you're healed. I think, you know, if that happened to me, I wouldn't be able to keep it to myself either. I, I, I don't think I would be able to. And so he goes blabbermouth into everybody and it makes it impossible for Jesus to like move around. You know, he's like a rock star. Everywhere he goes, there's crowds around him. You get mobbed everywhere. So that's the story. It's an amazing story, what Jesus did. Now, I want to dig into it. I want to see, I, wanna, I, I got a few things here that, man, just pricked my heart this week. The first thing that I notice, like when I, when I read this, first thing that really hits my heart is that Jesus didn't avoid hurting messy people. He attracted them, right? Jesus didn't avoid hurting people. He didn't avoid people with messy lives. In fact, he attracted them. This is the guy who everyone ran away from, right? I mean, people wouldn't have been able to even be near him. He's the guy who was an outcast to his community. He's the guy who was sick and hurting. He would have been physically deformed, mangled. This is the guy that comes to Jesus, and i love this he felt comfortable doing that like he he felt comfortable approaching jesus and i think like you know you can we can read a lot about jesus and who he is and his character and stuff from this but there's something like i wonder what it was like when you're physically with him he must have been so approachable i mean the guy who is the outcast feels confident to come up to jesus his disciples weren't bouncers you know keeping everybody at arms distance from him he welcomed hurting people and, and hurting people, people with messy lives were attracted to him. You know, the next thought that comes into my mind, I think, am I that way? Is, am, do people see me that way? Am I, am I cool with people that are hurting, whose lives are messy? Are you? Do people who are outcasts, who are ostracized, who are rejected, who are needy, who are in pain, do they feel comfortable coming to us? You know, am I, am I unapproachable to them? Am I too busy? Am I too important? See, we don't see many lepers today. They, leprosy is actually, they diagnosed it uh, it's called Hansen's disease, commonly called, it's named after the guy who kind of figured out what it was. And so now they have treatment for it today. So we don't actually see many lepers today, but we see lots of lepers today, right? We see lots of people who are outcasts, lots of people who are ostracized, who are rejected, who are needy, who are in pain. They just look different today. Lepers today look maybe, maybe more like addicts or prostitutes, or sexual deviants or, or LGBTQ folks or people that are bitter from you know, past pain people that are lonely people that are needy are these people that we're avoiding? Jesus didn't avoid those people I'm, and I'm so glad because my life is pretty messy too we were talking last, uh, on Wednesday in our grace group can I, can I just give a plug for grace groups real quick? This is not in my notes, but it's, yeah, yeah, it's so important. Like, we had a great conversation in our grace group. If you guys, if you're not connected to a group, you should be in a group. Like you're missing so much. There's something about like the just the, the small group one-on-one life-on-life relationships that come through. It. We were in our group last week, and uh, I just had this great conversation. We were talking about uh, just kind of our community and and the lepers in our community people that are, that are hard, that are challenging, whose lives are messy. We're talking about the, uh, the Barberton Herald. The Barberton Herald is a local newspaper in Barberton, and one of the parts of the Barberton Herald are the police logs, and, and in the police logs, like, you see some crazy stuff. Like, you see many of the lepers in our culture. You know, you see things, heroin overdoses, you see, you know, people struggling so significantly that way. You see people stealing things, right? Right now there's a lawnmower thief going around Barbara I don't know if you read about that. People getting their lawnmower stolen. You see domestic abusers. One guy brought up, and I don't remember if they went in this lady went into a restaurant or a store or something. She went into the restroom, she took off all of her clothes, she shot up with heroin, wrapped herself with toilet paper, and walked out. And you go. Like, it would be funny if it weren't so sad. So sad. Like, this is all around us. And and please hear me. I'm not saying that, that, like, these people that I gave as examples are faultless. I'm not saying that they're innocent. But their lives are messy. And, guys, many times messiness in our lives comes from previous pain and suffering that we haven't dealt with, right? Their lives are messy and uncomfortable, and it makes most people want to push them away. I want to I keep you at arm's distance. But Jesus was attracted and hung out with messy, hurting people, right? I mean, thats they were attracted to him, people whose lives were an absolute mess because they saw someone in Jesus who would love them and who would help them. And guys, we should be like Jesus. Like, we got to be people that are approachable to others who are hurting whose lives are messy. And if we're not, maybe we're living more for ourselves and less for him, right? I was reading this article this week um, in the New York Times. It's actually a little bit of an older article, but it was about um, babies. And it was so interesting. It was talking about how important and how essential to a baby's development skin-on-skin contact is, like skin-on-skin contact touch is, and when, when babies have that, they grow, they develop faster, and when they don't, they grow slowly, and some of them even die. It's so interesting. This research suggested that there's, like, certain brain chemicals that are released by by touch, by, like, human touch, and then others that are released in its absence that, like, stunt growth, that stunt development. And so a little quote from the article said, In some of the most dramatic new findings, premature infants who were massaged for 15 minutes three times a day gained weight 47% faster than those who were left alone in their incubators, the usual practice in the past. The massaged infants also showed signs that their nervous system was maturing more rapidly. They became more active than the other babies and were more responsive to such things as a face or a rattle the massaged infants did not eat more than the others, said Tiffany Field, a psychologist who did this study, said their weight gain seems due to the effect of contact on their metabolism. It says that the infants, the premature infants that were massaged were actually discharged from the hospital an average of six days earlier than the ones who weren't. Isn't that interesting? I remember when uh, early on in ministry, before I came to grace, I was a singles pastor. I was a young adult singles pastor. So singles in their twenties and thirties. And I remember more than one person coming up to me and saying like, I just, I I don't, I, I don't get touched anymore. You know, not like in a sexual way, just like human touch. You know, when you're a kid, you get hugged on all the time, you know. When you're an adult, if you're not in a relationship with somebody, like, many times you just don't get touched. They're, like, starved for touch, you know. Just touch. Guys, I love this. Listen, Jesus touched this guy. Like, Jesus touched him, right? Jesus touched hurting people with healing and acceptance, This is is what Jesus did. And he didn't have to, you know? He didn't have to touch him to heal him. Jesus healed lots of other people in the Bible without ever having touched them. In fact, Jesus wasn't supposed to touch this guy. No one was. This guy probably hadn't been touched for a long time. It was against the law to touch him, right? Notice, Jesus touched him before he healed him. I think that was intentional. It says he touched him and then he healed him. And here's the thing, that would have made Jesus unclean. Did you know that? By touching somebody with leprosy. That's why the guy had to yell, unclean, unclean, everywhere he went. Jesus touching him would have made Jesus unclean. But Jesus was willing to be made unclean to help and heal this hurting man. Guys, that that is powerful. Jesus was willing to become culturally unclean to show this man love and acceptance he wasn't worried about being sullied by this guy's uncleanliness. He showed this guy love and acceptance that he probably hadn't felt for years, maybe decades. It's beautiful. How about us? You know? How about us? Think about, think about the lepers in your life and you know, people that, that are hurting in your world. We all have kind of different circles that we run in. Think about about people that are hurting, whose lives are messy in your life. What does it look like for you to touch them? And don't, don't just think physical touch there is value to physical touch, but think about that metaphorically, you know, to enter into their pain and suffering and the mess of their life and risk get, getting a little bit dirty in order to show them love and mercy and acceptance and healing And and can I say this too? Like I know Jesus is God and and he had the power to bring total physical healing to this guy, to this leper, and he did. I I know that, okay? But I actually think that that was the lesser of the healings that Jesus did that day. I actually think that the physical part The physical miracle was the lesser of the healings. The physical was nice. Like I'm sure this guy was grateful. It definitely changed life for him. I'm not arguing against that. But we all know that just having a body that isn't isn't sick and isn't infected, it doesn't give me hope, right? It doesn't give me purpose in my life. It doesn't give me value just by having a healthy body. In my opinion, the emotional and spiritual healing that Jesus gave this guy by touching him and accepting him had a far greater and far more lasting effect than Jesus physically healing him. I think that was the much bigger of the miracles that Jesus did that day. And guys, listen, that's something that every one of us can do, right? Every one of us in this room, especially with people that are hurting and are in pain and suffering, we can take time out of our world, out of our busy schedule, and touch them, love them, and accept them, which can lead to so much healing. Like if we would just be willing to do that, it could lead to so much healing in their life. One, one last thing that I want to bring out here. I'd be remiss if I missed this. After Jesus touched this man and he met some serious emotional needs that this guy had, right? And then he healed him and he met some serious physical needs with this guy. What's the very next thing that Jesus does? Did you catch this? Very next thing he does. He does. Basically, what he tells him is, go get right with God. He touches him. He helps him emotionally for sure. He heals him. And then what does he do? He turns his focus to God. Look back at verse 43. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. Didn't didn't heed that. But go, show yourself to the priest. Think spiritual. Show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. You're healed, right? Now, think about God. That's what Jesus is doing here, you know? He told them, you know, it's probably not as important to understand like why he had to go and do these sacrifices and that sort of thing. What's important, what we need to get, what we can't miss is that Jesus didn't help him just physically. Jesus didn't just help him emotionally. Jesus helped him spiritually. The very next thing that he tells him to do after he heals him, is go reconnect with God, right? Now listen, Jesus knew this guy's heart. We we can't read people's hearts. Jesus knew this guy's heart, but I can imagine, imagine all the stuff that he's gone through. He's got to be angry with God, you know? Like, wouldn't you be angry with God? Wouldn't you be upset with God? Wouldn't you feel disconnected toward God. We've talked about this a lot in the series. Like, what this guy, what this leper has gone through would be very Job-like, you know? And I think his response would be very Job-like. Like, God, why would you allow this to happen to me? I didn't do anything wrong. Why, why would you ostracize me? Why would you seclude me from everybody? I'm lonely. What's wrong, God? Don't you love me? Like, I can only imagine what this guy's feeling toward God at that point. And Jesus heals him physically, He says, go connect with God. Go to the temple. Show the priest. Offer the sacrifices that the law requires. You're physically healed. Now go think about God. And guys, listen, think what we could learn from that. God doesn't call us to just come alongside hurting people, although I don't want to discount that. That's so important for us to come alongside people who are hurting and who have messy lives. But God doesn't just call us to come alongside hurting people. What separates us as Christians from everyone else is the belief that the power of the gospel, the incredible news about Jesus that God sent his son to live and die for us, to reconcile us to himself, the power of the gospel is what brings about ultimate healing. This is what separates us from everybody else. It's not just physical. We're not just humanists, right? I want your life to be better. I want to help you. I want you to process through your pain. It's not just that. It's, I want you to experience the power of the gospel in your life. Because not only will that help you right here and right now, get through the pain, the heartache, all of the hard stuff, not only will it help you there, but it'll help you eternally. Because you'll know God. You'll have a relationship with him. You'll be forgiven. And you'll get a chance to spend eternity with him in paradise forever and ever, where there's no more pain, there's no more hurting, There's no more sin, there's no more death, and not a tear will ever fall from our eyes. That's what separates us from everybody else. I love how Jesus, he heals him, he touches him, right? He heals him physically, he heals him emotionally, and he says, get right with God. Go to God, consider him. As his followers of Jesus, we're told to do some very specific things in the Bible. Suffer with those who suffer, Pray for others who are suffering because it makes a difference. So suffer with those who suffer. Pray for those who suffer. Carry each other's burdens and comfort others who are suffering. Those are things that followers of Jesus are called to do in the Bible. Here's my question for you. Who has God placed in your life for you to do those things for? Who Who are the lepers in your life that God has connected you to, that you can do those things for? And how will God use you to, to touch them, to show them love and acceptance, to walk with them? And as you do that, how can you help them experience the power of the gospel in their lives? Not just meeting physical needs, not just meeting emotional needs, But meeting their spiritual need, which is the greatest need that any of us have.